0: Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Zach Cronin, and I'm so 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 thrilled that you would choose to spend some time here with me today. Ugh. And I'm beginning this episode. Uh, I feel like the trend the last couple of weeks it's just been just pain. Pain, pain. Over and over and over again now, actually. It's what started with Spencer Dinwiddie after that young man suffered yet another season ending knee injury continued with Jared Allen when this man was simply not getting adequate minutes from head coach Steve Nash. And I hashed that out. I talked about it in excess, really, last week. Just um overall my thoughts on DeAndre Jordan being I don't want to say the go-to center, but the center that Steve Nash seems to lean on more uh, more often than not. Now, when I say lean on, it's not that DJ is getting more minutes than Jared Allen, although I believe he did a couple nights ago. I don't remember off the top of my head. I'll pull that up. I'll pull up the stats from, uh, I forget if it, I think it was the Memphis game. It was either the Memphis game or whatever fucking game they lost right after that. It was either Memphis or, Th- or the Thunder, uh, but either way, either way, it's not that DJ is getting more minutes than Jared Allen, because as of right now, it's Tuesday, the Brooklyn Nets do play this evening, they play Tuesday night, so by the time this comes out on Wednesday morning, these metrics will be slightly off. So, as of now, Jared Allen is at about 26 minutes a game, and DeAndre Jordan is at 17. Both gentlemen have started their fair share of games with Jordan at 7 and Jared Allen at 4. Now, the issue is that the gap in minutes is seemingly not large enough, right? As we know, Jared Allen is by far the superior player. There really is no other way around it. Jared Allen has simply outperformed DeAndre Jordan by every, by every metric, even if you extrapolate it. Which I'm doing right now. Jared Allen is still better. He is still the more reliable option, the more consistent option, and simply put, the best option. Now, DeAndre Jordan, it's a running joke that DeAndre Jordan is getting as much time as he is and he's starting and all that because he was the piece that brought Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to the Brooklyn Nets. Now, I'm not disputing that. There might be some. um, internal affairs going on where the coaching staff is potentially pressured to start DeAndre Jordan. But I really don't give a fuck about who starts the ballgame, right? The starting five and the five guys who you go to at the end of a close game are so remarkably different, right? At every level. I remember there were times in high school where I would start the game and then be out with three minutes to go in the fourth quarter of a close game. Didn't happen that often because our team was ass and we simply did not have many close games. But that logic applies in high school, in college. Whenever there are meaningful games being played, the five best players will be on the court at the end of the game. It's, it's simply how it is. And more often than not, I will give Steve Nash credit. Jared Allen is in that position, right? He is still playing a lot of minutes. Granted, I don't think it is enough. I want to see Jared Allen and I think I I'm pretty sure I said this last week. I want to see Jared Allen up above 30 minutes a night. 32 minutes a night because he's just got this plethora of talent and I feel like it's just being so grossly underutilized because and I again, I think I talked about this yesterday and I'm sorry that I'm just like bringing up um my previous thoughts but like for him to not see a significant leap in minutes from year 3 to year 4 when he is just better is astounding to me like I, it, I if I were if I were a tv show all you would see on the subtitles is stammering because I don't understand I still don't fucking understand it like this guy plays 33 minutes against OKC right which is where pardon me I'm a little stuffy this morning which is where I want to see him at right that was I think a season high it was a season high. Now, Brooklyn still lost the game, right? Unfortunately, 13-point loss. Um, there was no Kyrie Irving, unfortunately. Kevin Durant did the best he could, had 36 on 11-21 shooting, but like, really, Joe Harris stunk it up. Jeff Green stunk it up. Uh, and Prince was actually quite reliable, but like a whole bunch of rotation guys. Landry Shamit has just been like tragically bad astoundingly pitiful since coming over from the los angeles clippers like this cat his production is in the shitter it's nosedived so just unexplainably hard he was shooting 38 percent last year from three shot 42 percent as a rookie and is down to 25.6 like i what's happening here What's hap- what's happening here? I don't understand why Mr. Shamet is just failing to get into a rhythm. Like I I really think that it comes down to just him missing shots. And that is quite actually the most easy way to explain a lot of things that happen in the NBA. It's like, oh, this team lost this game by 30 points. Why? Well, in short, it's because they made fewer shots than the opponent did. But like, this is there's something. There's something like. Fundamentally wrong here. I don't know if it's confidence at this point because, like, we're talking about a guy who has missed 29 of his 39 threes. Like, at some point, he, like, you just, and he shouldn't be not confident in himself. Inconfident? Inconfident is the word I believe. He shouldn't be inconfident in himself because, like, he's got a track record of just shooting the fucking lights out. This guy made 167 threes as a rookie. As a rookie. I don't know. I don't believe that to be the record. But if it isn't, it's damn, it's, it's damn close. And even like last season in the postseason, he shot 36% from three, which is pretty good, I'd say, especially for a young guy on a contending team. Granted, we know the Clippers fell apart miserably and quite hilariously, actually, to the Denver Nuggets. But I mean, like, this dude, ever since joining Wichita State, he's been a lethal shooter. He came in and, as a rookie, proved that he was one of the best in the league. And how he's unable to replicate that, I, I don't know. And it gets to this weird point where, and I know I'm, I'm on a tangent, but this kind of has to be said, it gets to a point where, like, shooters slump. Every shooter in the history of the NBA has gone through a stretch where shit simply does not fall for them. Steph Curry goes through it. LeBron goes through it. Reggie Miller went through it. Ray Allen went through it. Everybody. Michael Jordan went through it. Everybody went through slumps. It's different, though, when it's a role player. And it's always been different because when guys like Steph get into a slump, or someone like Klay Thompson gets into a slump, or Dame, or CJ, or anybody. It can be Kemba, it can be Kyrie, it can be KD, it could be Kawhi, Paul George. All of these guys make up for it by being able to do other things, right? When Steph isn't making threes, Steph can get to the line. Steph is one of the slickest ball handlers the NBA has ever seen. He, He can create buckets from anywhere on the court. He makes defenders look silly at all three levels, and it makes it okay that he's not hitting threes at this point. Like Steph could easily score 30, shooting 32% from three. It's not, it's not hard for him. He gets to 30 just more efficiently the other way, obviously, but he's still making an impact. And then again, it's his ability to pass. With guys like Kawhi, they're on the glass. They're grabbing boards. They're locking down defenders. They're still making an impact. When you have role players, though, that aren't hitting their shots, it really throws a wrench in everything because you're banking on this guy being able to do his job, right? And I'm not trying to shit on Landry Shamet because he knows he's not—he knows he's not playing that well right now. And I do want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I do want to remain optimistic because, obviously, the Nets being my favorite team, I want them to be successful and I want all of the players to be successful and. You know, maybe Shamit, a third-year guy, he's just really struggling because there was no training camp, and having moved in the off season, he has to pick up and relocate his entire fucking life. Right? He's got to move across the country potentially. I don't know where his uh, I don't know where his residence was before this, but he had been in Los Angeles for one full season, a season and a half, really. So even if he's living in an apartment, right, he still got to pack up all that shit. He's got to move his life across the country, quite actually across the country, right? From Los Angeles to Brooklyn, which is about as East Coast as you can get. That, along with the pandemic, along with just having to, like, we don't know what he's dealing with at a personal level. And folks are going to come in here and say that, well, even if he is dealing with something, it shouldn't impact his job. You know, you go to work and you get to work. And, well, while that applies to us regular folk, you cannot compare what us regular folk do to what athletes do. Being an athlete is a different, like, I, so many of us just are unable to comprehend what it takes to be a professional athlete, right? Just the physical fortitude, the mental fortitude as well. Just knowing that every day, if you play badly, people are going to fucking shit on you, right? I'm, I started watching Last Chance You recently. And I'm on the second part where they're still following EMCC. And they're doing this interview with Ed Holley, the, um, the defensive coordinator. And he said something along the lines of, you know, if I'm a bank teller and I have a bad day, my boss knows that I have a bad day and I know I have a bad day. And that's the end of it. Right. You work at a bank or something like that. You work in a restaurant. You work in a customer service field. You're, you know, doing support for. Who, whomever you're doing support for Microsoft, whatever. If you have a bad day, it, it really stops right there. Like you go home and you talk to your wife about it, you talk to your boyfriend about it, you talk to your girlfriend about it, you talk to whoever. It's like, oh, you know, today kind of sucked, you know, whatever. Like my family members come back from work and they're like, you know, I had a shitty day today, but you kind of just move on with it. There's no lingering effect. When you're an athlete, if you have a bad day, people are going to continue to talk about that bad day until you have a good day. And Some guys are just simply unable to have good days. Like, Landry Shamit has yet to have a good day. That might be a little hyperbolic. But, like, he has had more bad days than good days. And he's not the type of guy to where he's doing other things to offset it. So there is definitely the mental toll that it takes. But, like, especially with everything else, Going on, like it's just it's so fucking it's so difficult for a lot of these guys right now, and you know, guys like Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, the stars are going to come out and they're going to produce. Like Zach Levine has been on a tear. He scored uh thirty eight. What's thirty eight plus thirty two? That's seventy, right? Seventy plus forty eight. Zach Levine scored hundred and eight points in th- in his three most recent games, and the Bulls dropped every single one. Right? Pertinent to the conversation because he's someone who goes out and has a good day regardless of what the team is going to do. Right? He's in that tier. Langey Shamit is not in that tier and he has not played well. And again, he knows he hasn't played well. Everyone knows he hasn't played well. I'm not trying to shit on him. I am just, you know, looking at the stat sheet and going, this guy has not been that great. But you know what? There have been. A bunch of guys on the Nets that have not been that great, right? Jeff Green. Jeff Green had a bad day last night. Or not uh not last night, last game. We're gonna have to talk about it. Jeff Green has to do better. I mean, just like going up and down the list, like Christiosa, he's played in five games, shooting twenty seven percent from the field. Torian Prince has had he's been better of late, but still he's shooting less than forty percent overall. I mean, Karis Lavert has been kind of inconsistent. Yes, he was Huge against who was he? Huge against. Um, he had like forty three against Memphis. I think it was. Yeah, had forty three against Memphis. Brooklyn lost the game. Before that, though, had twenty two against Philly. But really, just did not have a good game as a scorer. Right, nine to twenty five. Missed all five threes. Shot four of ten from the line. Still managed to score twenty two points. He did, however, have ten assists and zero turnovers. But like Karras Lavert has. Also had a bunch of bad days. And, you know, us Nets fans, we have picked on him. And if so, we've picked on him more than the other guys because you know what? You're one of like the foundational pieces of this organization. You, you, compared to everybody else, cannot really have bad days, right? We're not expecting that from you. When Karis Levert takes the floor, right? He's 26, he's entering his prime. Folks are done babying him, right? He's been in the shit. He knows what it takes to get the job done on the professional level. He may not be Kevin Durant and Kyrie, but we kind of have that expectation of him where he's going to come in and he's going to be an instrumental part of what the team does. He's going to get, you know, 22 points and out six assists. And that's and that's it. From there, you kind of have to speculate what the rest of the team is going to do. but that is inferring that Levert is going to give you that production. Overall, he, the numbers, they speak for themselves. We're at 18 points, which isn't bad. But we know that Carlos Levert can be better. We know that he can be better. And you know how we know he can be better? Because this is what he posted last year. He's scoring at a similar rate, shooting at a similar rate, getting to, he's actually getting to the free throw line at a lesser rate, which I don't know how much of that is his fault uh or the officials' fault because he's really not taking that many more threes. He's at 0.4 more threes per game than last season. Like I think he's kind of just um getting rooked a little bit. I mean yeah like the shooting splits are about the same as in terms of um just the breakdown of where he's getting his shots from. Like he's not shooting an extraordinary amount of mid range shots compared to last year. I think he's just simply getting Fewer foul calls for whatever reason. That doesn't make sense. But I'm not here, I'm not here to, to critique the officiating because like the officiating is always going to be sus, right? Every team is going to have at least one game where the fans, the analysts, the media, even, like even the people on the team are going to be like, dude, the officiating was just like they they had it out for us. And that's just something that you got to live with and it's kind of old, it's kind of an old-school way of thinking, but, like, you got to be in a position to where you can't even really say that the officiating affected you, right? Like, if you're up by 25 and you wind up losing that game, how much of it is the officiating and how much of it is your inability to make shots, to defend? I think this happened against Portland a couple nights ago. I forgot exactly who they were playing, and I fell asleep at the end of the game, but I woke up and they were like, this is the final, you know, Three minutes or whatever. And all it was was just like miss shot, miss shot, miss shot, miss shot, offensive foul, miss shot, miss shot. Like, you gotta, you really gotta capitalize on your opportunities. And I'm trying to tie this back into the Nets because I feel like I've gone on this fucking ridiculous tangent. But a lot, like, it's so hard to watch this team and analyze and discuss what needs to be fixed when a lot of it is guys just. Not making plays, and I'm looking at I'm also looking at Steve Nash too, because i'm I understand that Steve Nash is a first year head coach. It's gonna be a little rocky. he's gonna have issues. I mean shit, Kenny Atkinson was still making rotational he was still Kenny Atkinson was still fucking up his rotation like three years into the job. like there are just some guys who are not good game managers as head coaches, right? How do you offset that? You bring in assistant coaches who know what the fuck they're doing, right? You brought in Jacques Vaughn who showed that in the bubble, he really does know how to coach, right? And he worked well alongside Kenny because Kenny was the player development guy. He knew how to make his players better off the court. I guess if that makes any sense. Just in terms of like their skill set. And then pairing him with Jacques Vaughn, a guy who knows how to put these guys in the position to maximize that skill set. That is like that's a Fucking great combination. And Steve Nash is kind of in the same boat. He doesn't appear to be a great game manager. And, you know, how much of that is him being a rookie head coach? How much of that is just like his head coaching philosophy and the organizational philosophy? So, you know, you come in, they have Jacques Vaughn. They got Mike D'Antoni, Ime Udoka. I mean, Jordan Ott, Adam Harrington. I've been with the team for a little bit. Like, these guys know what's good. I mean, Tiago Splitter, another guy who's working closely to the players like this coaching staff is very solid very very solid and it's also their it's also their obligation to help Steve Nash along the way like you can't just let this man you know hang out to dry just because he made a couple bad decisions and like again I'm really not too fired up about all of this because I did not expect this season to go extraordinarily well. My expectations, as I've discussed previously, were quite tempered, actually. Like, I'm sure the Nets are going to walk to the playoffs. Maybe not walk, but they're going to qualify for the playoffs off of talent alone. But they're going to go into the postseason, meet a team that is a well-oiled unit that has this just unbreakable chemistry. You know, incredible synergy. Guys know how to play alongside each other. Guys know what to expect from each other. Like, I'm looking at Boston in particular. Philadelphia is another one, potentially. Milwaukee, of course, just teams who know, just teams that have a clue, right? Teams and head coaches that have a clue. Right now, I do not think the Nets have a clue, and a lot of it has to do with just these new pieces bringing in. And I think at some point it will turn around. I think Landry Shamit at some point will just get into a rhythm, and it might be he just might not be able to miss. Like there might be a couple games where he shoots like sixteen of eighteen from three. And it's just unguardable. Um, I don't know when that is. I'm hoping it's soon. Um Yeah, that's really I think that's pretty much all I have to say on that particular situation. Just like guys really not performing. Uh it's weird to think that I ended up here after talking about Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan, but that's already been said. DJ needs a couple fewer minutes and Jared Allen needs more minutes. I mean, it's just unfortunate that that you have to only run one center. And even if you, like, and the Nets are, like, they don't even, like, I feel like they don't even be fucking with centers sometimes. That's the crazy part. But, like, Jared Allen, if he's producing, you got to put that man on the court. And, oh, before I lose this thought, right, I want to just get back to the to to the um to role players, not mission shots. There's, like, it's very difficult for a head coach to kind of, um like, you can't not give up on a player during a slump, right? I know I've said this. I've said this about Landry Shamit a few minutes ago. Guy's in a slump, not playing particularly well, but you can't go away from him because if he has already lost confidence in himself, which is very possible, like people talk about athletes being robots is like a little joke, like Kawhi's a robot, LeBron's a robot. I mean, they are kind of robotic in a sense, but you know, I already mentioned this. When they're missing shots, it's not really that big of a deal because they're going out and doing other things to at least still be a net positive to the team. Somebody like Landry Shamet, if he's not missing shots, he's not doing his job. And he's missed a lot of shots so far, as I've already discussed. He could be losing confidence in himself. I hope he's not, but it's a possibility that all of us have to acknowledge. If the coaching staff, starts going away from him it's them signaling to him that they too have lost confidence in him which that might be the worst possible outcome because then Landry Shamit would probably tumble even worse it's the coaching staff's job to sit down with Landry Shamit and be like look you're not making shots it's okay it happens I mean Steve Nash one of the greatest shooters of all time has gone through slumps And he'll be able to sit down with Sham and be like, "Look, you're not making shots, but we're still gonna look for you. So you know, just keep practicing, stay warm, keep going through the motions, and eventually they will start to fall. And I am optimistic that they will start to fall because if I remember correctly, you know, everyone's saying that Shamit has been kind of ass this year, and he has. But there have been instances where he was making shots. For example, against Philadelphia, went two of four from downtown. And then against Memphis, went to a five from downtown. So over those two games, shot 45% from the field, roughly. I mean, again, not crazy volume, but he's seeing the ball go through the basket, which is really all he could ask. And then also against Memphis, had four assists, two steals. So like, it's really just trying to find ways to get him involved. And then, of course, against Atlanta, popped off 14 points, didn't miss a shot from anywhere. Just looked. Unguardable. Like this version, the Atlanta Hawk, the version of Lamgy Shamit that went against the Hawks is really the best possible outcome for the Nets. Someone who doesn't take a lot of shots, but makes the most of them. I mean, 14 points on five shots is remarkable. I don't think it'll happen again because that is, that's, that is quite actually in, that's unmaintainable. That is unmaintainable efficiency. But if you can at least like strive for that and just, Make the open shots. That's really it. Just make the open shots. You know, when the defense is giving you something, take it. I mean, against Charlotte here, he's got 0 of 9, 0 of 8 from 3. I mean, if they're giving you the shots, take them. Because the defense, I don't care how poorly Landry Schammett is playing, it it will never get to a point where the defense is just letting him shoot. He is too good of a shooter to let that happen. And even though he's down right now, teams are still respecting him as if he's shooting 40% from the floor. Because for guys like this, all it takes is that one shot to go through. All it takes is for that one shot to go through and they're just, they're off and running and they're impossible to reel in. But I want to get to um a more pressing topic with the Brooklyn Nets. Everyone in the league, everyone who follows it, who works in it, the players, the coaches, know everything that is going on with Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving has not played a game since Utah. Whenever the whenever the fuck the Nets played Utah, I don't remember the date off the top of my head, but he shit all over the Jazz in that game. Twenty nine points, ten of nineteen shooting, five of seven from three, and has proceeded to miss the three following games with personal issues. He will miss the game against Denver tonight with personal issues um although i'm not sure if that is like what we'll say on the injury report but he's going to miss this game he's also probably going to miss every other game this week which Woj reported he said um actually i don't want to i don't want to get into that just yet but this is a very um sensitive topic and i i'm going to talk about it very very carefully because I respect Kyrie Irving as a basketball player, but I also respect him as a human being. I respect his privacy. Um, I'm not really going to speculate about why he's missing games. I'm more so just going to talk about, um, like the basketball related aspect of this. So Kyrie Irving is someone who we know to be very, um, mental health conscious. He, he just seems very, um, mindful of his mental well being. And this a lot of this is coming in the wake of the domestic terror attack that took place at the Capitol building last week, where a bunch of a bunch of a bunch of insurgents, more or less stormed the Capitol because they were just fucking they thought that the election like it was this whole all uh, fraudulent election bullshit, which really has no basis in reality and the fact that people like this people like that live in this country is it's shameful and it it will be a stain on the history of this nation for hopefully forever because that's not something that like, that's not something that i that i have ever lived through i'm not sure it's something that's ever happened like a domestic terror attack is like it it's just so disgusting and so abhorrent and Kyrie, also being very focused on social justice, saw just how um, how that situation was handled in regards to precautions. Meanwhile, there's that picture floating around where they have the armed guards at the Capitol during a Black Lives Matter protest. And I'm not really going to get into all of that because I don't even know if that's why he is taking days off. It's not my job to speculate. It's not, I really don't want it to be associated with being speculative about why Kyrie Irving is missing time. The point is, he's missing time. And there is just this fucking incessant amount of backlash towards Kyrie Irving. And I think it's it's ridiculous. It's, it's It's just ridiculous. Maybe I'm a little biased. Call me biased. I really don't give a fuck. This is just how I see it. Kyrie is being slandered. And I retweeted something the other day. I'm going to pull that up. Real fast. So, um, this guy who goes by Coach DJ on Twitter says Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan discussing their personal battles with depression. Me- men's mental health matters. Kyrie Irving takes a personal leave that was agreed upon by him and the team for undisclosed personal matters. Stop crying and do your job. Trade and retire. It's uh, he's really just trying to capture the the dichotomy and really just the um the sour perception that people have of Kyrie Irving for. Whatever reason. And I wholeheartedly agree with this tweet, right? I was elated when I saw Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan talking about their struggles with um, mental illness and just everything in that regard. I'm very, I'm I'm just grateful that young people have guys like DeMar and Kevin Love to look up to and, you know, that it's okay for men to be okay, especially men in particular, because just um, a lot of the stigma that's associated with men um, being vulnerable and everything so I, I love the fact that these guys are using their platform to push that and I also think that the second part of this tweet is equally correct people are just throwing dirt onto Kyrie and they don't even know why he's not playing right of course there was him not telling Steve Nash or waiting to um or just really overall the whole situation with him and Steve Nash where they weren't in like direct communication or whatever, or that Kyrie wasn't answering Nash's text, that was wrong. But it's not like Kyrie just ghosted the team, right? He spoke to his teammates. He spoke to people in the organization. Like, I think that maybe he just had a hard time talking to Steve Nash about it. Like I I I don't know why. Maybe. I'm not even gonna say maybe i I don't know why that's all I'm gonna say on that matter. I don't know why Kyrie didn't talk to Steve Nash. um I also really don't care. My thing throughout all this is that What the fuck just happened? My brain just straight up stopped working like I my brain just fucking stopped working during this crucial moment. I'm trying to what is? Wow, I'm fucking, I'm so beat, dude. What the fuck was I just talking about? Okay. At any rate, the point here is this. Kyrie Irving, his tweet is treated unjustly for missing games for personal reasons. When no one knows those personal reasons, and quite frankly, no one should know those personal reasons. If something's going on with his family, let him handle it, you know? This kid has had a very difficult life, losing his grandfather, his mother. You know, he probably understands like what family means to a lot of people more than the general population. Like, this kid has been through a lot of shit. And on top of that, he is one of the most famous athletes in the world. He's super recognizable, a global icon. I mean, hit one of, the biggest shots in the history of the NBA to help bring Cleveland its first professional championship in half a century like there Kyrie has been through so much and for people to say the things they're saying about him it's just it's wrong and it's shameful and it really points to people just their lack of empathy and their lack of compassion and it's I just think it's stupid. It's stupid of y'all to act that way towards a human being who is most likely going through some shit. Like, if he has to, like, if he's missing a couple basketball games to go handle something privately, that's his prerogative. The NBA should, I don't, well, I don't think they should discipline him because he's, again, he's going through something, right? Let him figure it out. And if he's unwilling, to talk to anyone in the organization. The organization has to honor that. They shouldn't try to beat an answer out of him. Really, all they can say is, "Hey, Kyrie, we're here for you. Take as much time as you need. If you need anything, our doors are open, our phones are on. Just reach out and we'll be happy to assist you." That's all the organization needs to do. Just check up on him, make sure he's good, make sure that everything is being handled, and just, you know, plan for the games without him you know it's the NBA it's not always going to be a a smooth ride there are going to be bumps along the road and the Nets they have more bumps to worry about than Kyrie Irving missing some games if anything his absence is kind of good for the team because they can get a finer of like a better more um, acute understanding of where their issues are because like when you're trotting Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant out there, they can get 60 points between them, and you can win a game by five, six, seven points, and everything seems like it's good. When in reality, the what's underneath is fucking hideous, and we're kind of seeing that right now. So I'm not, I'm not trying to like praise Kyrie for taking time off. Like he's, I don't think he was really thinking of that. Oh, I'm this super intelligent guy, and I'm gonna take all this time off to expose the deficiencies of my team. No, I think he's fucking. Going through something, and we should honor his privacy. Um, more recently, however, a video popped up of him at his sister's birthday party. His sister, Asia, it was indoors, it was at a bar, club, something like that, whatever it was. He could have potentially broken the NBA's COVID protocol. The hubbub about all of this is. Well, first of all, the NBA is doing an investigation, trying to figure out where Kyrie was. If this video is recent, which it probably is, because um Rob Perez did a whole investigation about it, which um I highly suggest that you go check out. Because folks were saying that Kyrie, folks on Reddit were saying that Kyrie is out partying in Toronto with Drake and this, that, and the third one, really, he was just celebrating his sister's thirtieth birthday, which is quite the um the monumental birthday so Kyrie was there now I don't know what the COVID restrictions are like in Jersey in New York you are able to have gatherings in certain places of course different parts of the state have different regulations New York City um New York City probably doesn't have fucking anything going on like that but downstate New York um upstate New York you're able to get together at restaurants and stuff and have like small gatherings the NBA though is barring those types of, um. Interactions, I guess you can call them, you know, lounges are forbidden, bars, places like that, really anywhere where a player is at risk of transmitting COVID and therefore transmitting it to his teammate and the rest of the league, whatever. Kyrie was spotted on video, no mask, no none of that shit. Um, My thoughts on this is that if it actually turns out that this was recent, Kyrie Irving should be punished for it. Um, I'd say that whatever the pun, whatever I said when the whole James Harden situation came up, uh, that punishment, I don't know if that's, I don't know, cause I know Harden got fined, and I can't remember if I was upset about that or not. Probably was, um, or maybe I wasn't. Either way, maybe fine Kyrie. I don't really see anything worse than that because he part of his salary is going to be deducted as well for every game missed. Um yeah, and then especially if this does turn up to be um recent, he's gonna have to quarantine as well while the league the problem might have to do contract tracing and all that shit. Um I do want to get into this a little bit, but as far as this whole thing, um I'm not like disappointed in Kyrie or everything. It stinks that he got caught on video, but like you know, we're talking about this guy who is missing time due to personal reasons, and if he wants to be around his family, I really can't begrudge him for that. Like, I'm not trying to be this hard-ass, authoritarian, like, this fucking crazy guy who's like, oh, you know, you're doing COVID, you can't go out and do anything fun, because it's, it's hypocritical, like, uh, who, who the fuck am I to be like, oh, Kyrie, Kyrie shouldn't be out celebrating his sister's birthday when it's like I've gone out I've gone out during covid I've sat down at restaurants I've been to small gatherings like gatherings with of course like fewer than 10 people or whatever like it's hypocritical of me I'm not trying to like portray myself as this super you know I don't even I don't even know man like I'm just I'm not trying to be like I'm not trying to pretend that I have some moral high ground on Kyrie Irving because I don't go out. Like, that's just not the case. It, it's hypocritical of me to be to be like, oh, fuck this guy. Because he went out to, like, celebrate his sister's birthday, bro. Like, it's just, it it's so foul how people are just, like, shitting on this guy for no reason. And I think that I would say the same shit no matter who it was. Because, like, the dehumanization of professional athletes is one of the strangest things I've ever, it's one of the strangest ways I've ever seen, like other human beings act toward one another. Like you're telling me that you actually hate this fucking guy because he did something bad to your team during a game. Like this guy, I mean, I think LeBron is the ultimate example of just people who are so, Unrelentlessly hate it. Like, this guy went and built a fucking school for at risk kids in his hometown, and folks are still like, oh, you know what? Fuck that guy. I don't like him. Like, I'm sure the overwhelming majority of players, of NBA players and athletes are nice people. I'm sure Kyrie Irving is a great guy. I'm sure he's cool to, you know, sit, hang out with, have a conversation with. And if he wants to go and celebrate his sister's birthday, uh, I don't have a problem with that. Like, does it stink? Yeah, it stinks, but again, it's really easy to rationalize when you just remember that the NBA is it, it's entertainment. This isn't life or death. I mean, it is for these guys because it's their livelihood and all that, and it's how they feed their families, but beyond that, like they're playing a game, bro. This shit, like, it I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but like, it doesn't matter as much as some other things matter. Like, I'm glad that the NBA is here but I'm, they had to have been able to like foresee weird shit happening and another thing is that folks are kind of talking about this like this is a repeat thing from Kyrie Irving like as far as I can remember he's not one to just like fuck off and miss games for illegitimate reasons like yeah he deals with injuries but he's an athlete their bodies take a pounding. Like yeah, he's this, he may be a little weird on social media with this post, but, like, bro, pe- everyone is fucking weird on social media. Like, how I don't understand how you can look at what someone posts on Instagram and just kind of, like, you know, use that as them trying to actually portray themselves entirely. Like, there are layers to what people post on social media, and I feel like this is taking a really weird turn, kind of ranty, and I sound kind of bitter. Or maybe I don't sound bitter, because I have been kind of chill throughout all this. Like, I'm not... Again, it's really nothing to get fired up about, because if you can just rationalize it, like, yeah, this guy, he's going through some shit. Like, let him go through some shit, because, I mean, the last thing you want is for something really bad to happen. I mean... uh, Yeah, again, I'm not, like... I don't... It's weird because I don't know if I'm defending Kyrie. I mean I am, of course. Like always take care always take care of your mental health. Probably over everything else. Your mental health definitely supersedes your physical health in that regard. But like I think he like he's not doing anything crazy. He's missing a couple basketball games and it stinks, but that's kind of I don't want to say it's what has to happen, but you know, sometimes shit comes up and you just got to, you just got to disappear for a little bit. And like we don't know. Again, I can't stress this enough. We really have no idea what the fuck's going on. And we might never know whether we know or not. That's that. I don't give a fuck about that. I really don't care about whether or not we know why Kyrie is missing time. Like, as long as he's good, I hope he's good. I hope that everything Hope that everything works out for him and that it, it just all, it just all gets gets fixed soon. I just think that this whole backlash shit is just it's so unnecessary. Let this guy vibe by himself for a little bit, and if it comes out that you know it was some, I'm not even actually I'm not even gonna entertain that thought. I don't wanna. I'm not trying to give that. I'm not trying to put that negative energy out there. In short, I hope Kyrie is good. I'm praying that everything is good. If it comes out that the NBA has to enforce their COVID protocols, so be it, I'm sure. Um, he thought about that and at the end of the day concluded that, you know what, it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. I want to go be with my sister on her birthday and I'll deal with the consequences as they come. And building on the NBA's COVID protocol, there has been a lot of talk recently about the NBA, Adam Silver, the league office, how they're handling everything, right? So, a couple days ago, I believe this was Sunday. The Sixers were set to take on, who were they taking on? Who were they playing? Uh, this is a great question. Who the fuck were they playing? I think that's actually kind of irrelevant, right? Either way, the Sixers on Sunday were just the roster was just decimated. They had <laughs> eight active players and it was only 8 because Mike Scott was quote unquote active although he didn't play because uh i think he was dealing with um some sort of injury i don't remember i was kind of just taken aback by the fact that the sixers barely had uh, fucking enough people to feel the team and yet only lost to the nuggets by 12 points granted a lot a lot of that was because of tyrese maxey the rookie who had 39 points so shout out to him one time but the league was pretty much like Nah, y'all got to play. And Doc is like, "We don't have enough players." And Adam Silver's like, "Y'all still got to play." However, like the situation isn't as black as white black and white as uh, I'm making it sound. There is this weird thing where the Sixers tried to list Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid as inactive like the day of the game, which is definitely a little fishy because Why, like, you're learning that you're learning of a potential forfeiture. Why, or you know that if you don't have an adequate amount of players, you know you're not going to be able to play. Why are you not giving the league office the adequate amount of time to, um, to fucking what are what's the word I'm trying to find here? So like why 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 not just follow the league protocol on the um the injury report, right? So they played Embiid and Simmons played that Wednesday, I think it was. No, Friday. What day was it? The seventh was a fucking what was that? That was a Friday? A Thursday. Okay. Played Thursday. Ben Simmons and Embiid both play in that game. Right? I think someone said that. They were going to rest those two on Friday regardless of what was happening, but that wasn't, that wasn't clear on, um, on Friday. I mean, they were going to rest, they were, hold on, I'm really starting to sound like a fucking idiot here. If I remember correctly, and it's very possible that I do not remember this correctly, the Sixers had entertained the idea of resting Simmons and Embiid regardless for Saturday. However, there was no notice of that until right before the game, which is a no no. In the NBA world, and I think in uh, every major sport, you have to give the league, o- the league office an adequate amount of time to process the, um, your injury report or whatever. If you knew that there was the chance that you were going to arrest these guys, why did you not let the league know on Friday and then instead wait? until right before, like, the forfeiture rules come out. I'm not saying that the NBA shouldn't have, you know, been a little bit more fluid with the situation. I just think that, in this instance, both sides are, they're kind of wrong, right? Let me actually see if I can find... Okay, here we go. No organization wants to play a game with eight players, especially against an opponent like Denver, who is kind of sucking ass this year. Sixers might prefer postponement, but NBA's pressure to keep a balanced playing field for each team faced with these situations in pandemic. This will be a recurring instance. That is, of course, talking about teams being short staffed, not having an adequate amount of players. Now, this was on January 9th. That Wach went ahead and uh tweeted this. He goes, he quotes the tweet I just read and says, The Sixers have been talking to Embiid and Simmons about their ability ability to play today, but in this case, the hard part for the franchise will be that no injury had been shared with the league's basketball operations department. Sixers are planning to list them. Beat out with back tightness and Simmons with knee swelling. Neither will play. And then he goes on talking about um, Mike Scott, yada yada. The Sixers did not handle this situation, I think, as cleanly as they could have. Also, with that said, the NBA should have been a little, a little more caring and a little more compassionate. In this regard. This was of course um before they really started postponing games. I think there have been four games postponed already. Uh let me just Google this shit real quick. NBA game postponement. I spelled postponement wrong. Great. So there was that game that they refused to play. They who did uh I think Dallas, New Orleans was postponed Monday night. Um It says here, Heat-Celtics postponed due to um, health and safety protocols. Yeah, there have been a bunch of games where the league was just like, you know what? Fuck it. We'll scrap it. Now, how am I going to talk about the NBA's COVID protocol, right? So the league decided not to do a bubble. I understand why they decided not to do a bubble. Even like, well, I don't know how many people understood why, but in short, you can't lock players in isolation for six months. It's not gonna happen. Away from their families, away from everything. It is it's impractical. It is quite actually impractical. For the postseason, different story. Regular season, no fucking shot that's happening. I thought that maybe they should have done what baseball did and do like the regionalized schedules just to limit the travel and, you know, really limit any potential outbreaks. Because it stinks if you have like the Wizards for example, they go to New York, they play the Knicks and Then New York plays like the fucking Nets, the Cavs, and then Portland, right? I don't think it would take that long for the NBA to figure out something's going on, but still, you're potentially infecting three other areas. If you did the regionalized schedule, you could at least, in theory, mitigate those spreads. The NBA refused not to do that. Instead, their ultimate plan, shorten the schedule and design it so that way there are ways for you to. Work around postponements and move games around stuff like that with that said I don't know how exactly the NBA did this I didn't analyze the schedule and think okay they left a fucking three-week spot open in April to make up for lost games which you know I think that would have been a good idea because the NBA always takes a couple weeks off in between the end of the regular season and the postseason you know if they wanted to trim a couple games off the schedule and do like two weeks at the end of March and then two weeks in the beginning of April to make up for lost time, more or less, I think that would have been a very solid idea. But again, I don't know how exactly the NBA designed their schedule. But I do know is that if you went out of your way to schedule teams differently because of the pandemic, which is still pretty smart move by the league, then you should be more than willing to just postpone a game as soon as you know that there is contract tracing going on. Maybe not as soon as you know, but as soon as like teams are directly impacted, just be like, you know what? Scrap it and just worry about it later. I also understand, however, why the league would go through with some of these games because if like you just start postponing games at an astonishing rate. It's going to fuck up the schedule even more, and you might not even have the ability to make up all of these games. So I'm like, it's very, it's not black and white. This is a very nuanced topic, right? Maneuvering around a pandemic, which is somehow still raging, by the way, I'm not sure how the fuck that happened. Maneuvering around that is so just incomprehensibly difficult that there was no shot that the NBA was going to get this right on the first time no sport has been able to navigate this correctly i don't know if anyone's noticed that but baseball had issues in the beginning the nfl had issues in the beginning the nba is having issues in the beginning and hockey could also probably have issues in the beginning as well right if there's no bubble i don't think i don't think the seasons are going to go smoothly with the nfl however the nfl really got lucky by having only really three games three days dedicated to games right there's sunday which is the big nfl day as everyone knows monday's pretty big too they do play games on thursday and saturday um but those are well the saturday games don't really happen until the end of the season and then thursday it's only i think like one game so you still have all these other spots to move things around right if you know that a team is testing positive on saturday and they play sunday you can move the game back to Tuesday run all the tests, make sure everyone's clear, and you still have the 48 hours for them to get back out there. And that game will still count for that week. Of course, the issue is that those teams will be on short rest, which is something the NFL had to worry about, but I think they navigated it as cleanly as possible. And I'm not one to compliment how the NFL runs its operations, but they did a pretty decent job. I can't lie. Baseball also did a pretty good job um, just recovering from that horrific outbreak they had early in the beginning. But that was kind of different, though like this is just one team fucking around and they wound up having however many people players and coaches testing positive with the NBA there are these small like clusters where people are just like having to go through contact tracing and it's not even that all these guys are testing positive i think they um they said that the most recent round of coronavirus testing only returned like four tests or something i don't know it was minimal but you know, these guys are locked in rooms together. They're doing film study. I mean, we saw it with the Saints when they had to play without all their running backs because someone in the running back group gets sick. Everyone's got a quarantine contact trace. Even if they're not sick, they're not able to play because we, well, we simply don't know. Same thing with the Broncos and their quarterback situation. Um, I'm not surprised that the NBA is fumbling this early because you can have a theoretical way of dealing with something, but in practice, it might not prove that effective, and I think it's really too early to tell with the NBA because it's only been a couple of weeks. But like, if we get into February, and this shit is still happening, uh, I don't know how they're going to come back from this. Like, this isn't—I, uh, I don't even like—I don't even know what they could do. I feel like just being as fluid as possible with the schedule is really the best option at this point just seeing kind of what happens I mean like I know I read something yesterday where the NBA is most likely super hesitant to pause the season because if y'all remember when the season was getting set up again and guys were coming and getting tested their positivity rate was higher I don't know how much I don't recall off the top of my head but it was more of an issue with guys coming in than it was once guys were actually in and we're seeing this right the nba has not surrendered many positive covid cases and i want to commend the players for that because it means they're following protocol and you know they're really taking this seriously for the most part sometimes you know you just get you just get caught lacking like a lot of the times you could just like run out to the supermarket and come back you got covid like some, you really don't know with a disease like this, you could just like you could just be chilling, having a vibe, and one person comes over and fucks your day up. Like that's that's the crazy part about all this. And because this shit's so crazy, like you kind of just have to take it day by day. If that means postponing a game or two, I mean, so be it. As long as there's a way for teams to make up that lost time, I don't really haven't. I don't really. I don't really see issue but like i'm i'm definitely in the camp that uh the nba has got to figure something the fuck out because i think like it could get to a point where shit gets crazy i mean the mavericks just had you know they got to do their whole contact tracing thing like and above all else i understand why the nba is reluctant to postpone these games because it's all about money but if no one's going to be watching these games anyway like no disrespect to the Sixers but I don't know how many people were tuning in to watch Danny Green play power forward that's that's just it it's all it man it's all so 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 tricky and I'm not envious of the people that have to navigate this um I think that's pretty much I think that's pretty much all I had to say on the subject matter I managed to turn this into an hour like this was shaping up to be one of those episodes where it's like okay I got two things I want to talk about which turned into three and then it can either last 30 minutes or 60 minutes and knowing me I'm someone who is quite verbose unnecessarily so the fact that I turned this into about an hour does not surprise me but as always thank you guys so much for listening if this is your first time welcome if this is your second time third time fourth time whatever welcome back um I'm super appreciative of any way you can support the show, whether it's subscribing and following on your preferred podcast player, following it on social media, following following me on social media. I'm um, just really any way that you could support. I'm super grateful for. If you are on Apple Podcasts, though, please, if you get the chance, leave a five-star rating and also potentially a review. I think that helps me move up the iTunes charts. Um, I'm not really sure. If you like it, tell a friend about it. If you don't like it, Tell a friend about how much it sucks. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pressure you into slang into your friends and family. But with that, thank you guys again and I will catch y'all in the next one.